0: Growing up in, in Bluefield was a wonderful opportunity uh, for me, and I had a close-knit family, and I believe my sense of who I am, mm-hmm. the confidence uh, that I've that I've had, although sometimes waned throughout my journey, but that came from growing up in a great family uh, in small-town West Virginia.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another Mountaineer Media podcast presented by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. And who you just heard is Dr. Patrice Harris, the first African-American woman to serve as president of the American Medical Association. That's incredible by itself. Even more remarkable, though, she served most of her time during the beginning of the pandemic. And as you guessed it, she's from West Virginia Coop we enjoyed this conversation but we're changing the beginning of this podcast a little bit we're not going to dive right into the that interview yet we we've got uh a- another guest
2: we sure do you know we did have a great conversation with dr harris but we wanted to introduce the more of the mountaineer bloggers. you guys have seen us post about it on social media so we wanted to bring them in and introduce them to you guys on the podcast at the beginning so we couldn't be more excited to be joined today by Catherine allen who if you've been following she's on the mission to do 52 hikes in 52 weeks in west virginia so she's on right now hey cat what's going on
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to uh, let everyone know what's going on with 52 Hikes, 52 Weeks. Uh, We've got some really cool hikes already done, knocked out and in the bag, and we've got some really cool ones coming up too.
1: And let's start with the one that is coming out today, Cooper's Rock, right? And tell us a little bit about that. And you said it was not exactly a, a warm and sunny day when you visited.
3: Yeah, so I went to Cooper's Rock and ended up doing about an eight mile loop. It was a combination of, of maybe four or five different trails. I'll make sure all the details are in the, the written portion once it gets pushed out. This past hike was was really, really snowy, um, probably about three three feet of snow. I wanna wow. say at, at the, the deepest point, there were lots of cross country skiers, lots of people outside with their families sledding and having a great time. It was It was beautiful. It was like I was transported to another place.
2: That's, uh, that's West Virginia for you. We can have all four seasons within <laughs> yeah. a single day. So, so Kat, you know, it's West Virginia is known for its outdoor beauty and, you know, you've explored the state and you're going to keep exploring the state. But is there anything in particular that you are looking forward to this spring and uh, taking, uh, you know, all for the listeners and, you know, readers of the, uh, the blog on? But for you personally, is there any kind of bucket list uh, trails in West Virginia that you want to tackle?
3: Yeah, so I'm really excited about Dolly Sods. I know everyone's really familiar with Dolly Sods. It's stunning. I'm excited to check out Blackbird Knob. That's gonna be one of my favorites. I'm really excited to check out Spruce Knob. And I'm really excited to just check out all of the different places that, one, I've never been. I'm gonna be going on this journey with everyone. I'm excited to point out all of the places that are lesser known and prove that West Virginia is a, is a destination in the outdoor industry.
1: So far, you've done five trails now. Cooper's Rock, uh, you've been to Fayetteville, you you hiked in Kanawha State Forest, and you said Pipe Stem wasn't initially on the schedule, but there's kind of a funny story about how you and your sister ended up at Pipe Stem.
3: Yeah, so the plan was to check out the Bluestone Turnpike Trail, and uh, we'd gotten a lot of nasty weather the week beforehand, ended up at the trailhead. It took me, it took me a while to find it, and um, we get maybe... 300 meters down the trail and all of a sudden the trail is underwater so that was that was an experience um, and it resulted in me winging the rest of the day but we ended up at Pipestem which happened to be one of my favorite hikes so far.
2: It's a metaphor for life. Look, guys, there's gonna be <laughs> obstacles in your life. If you're on a trail, find a new trail and jump on it and, <laughs> we'll have and keep
3: them moving. Yeah. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or you're or trash through the water.
1: How can people find you? They can find yeah. your great videos on mountaineermedia.org. They can find your write-ups. Same thing on mountaineermedia.org. Go ahead and plug yourself. Where can they find more of Catherine Allen?
3: yeah so you can check out my hiking instagram it's happy little hiker with two y's i've got all the the videos the link to the mountaineer media blog and you can check that out um, and you can also find me tagged on the facebook page when they post my videos
1: it's an original idea it's great you, you've been crushing it so far keep going we'll be rooting for you and and we'll uh, we'll chat with you here soon again thanks
3: yeah thanks guys and thanks for giving me this platform to share everything with
1: yeah, no problem.
2: Thank you, guys. Happy little hiker. Follow
1: him. Thanks. Bye. Stigma survives and thrives when people have inadequate information. When people have misinformation. That's a quote by today's guest, Dr. Patrice Harris. She said that almost a year ago in another interview, and she was talking about the need for more mental health awareness among the general population. But what's funny, in a way, it's a fitting quote for our conversation today because we talk about so many topics that need adequate attention, including West Virginia.
2: The Bluefield native just recently finished her term as the president of the American Medical Association. She served the majority of her time during the pandemic and today serves on the Opioid and Drug Overdose Task Force. Now, Dr. Harris has been trying to dispel the stigma of mental health, medicine, COVID, drug addiction, and the Mountain State
1: for as long as
2: she's been alive.
1: Today, she continues to run her psychiatry practice in Atlanta, and that's where we pick up today's conversation.
2: Dr. Harris was simply incredible to speak with. She's educated, she's experienced, she's poised, and maybe most importantly, she's a proud West Virginian. So let's get to it right now. Mace, hit the music.
1: The sun does not always
0: shine in West Virginia, but the people always do.
1: All right, everybody, today we're joined by the wonderful Dr. Patrice Harris. How are you today? Thank you for taking some time. I know you're in Atlanta right now. Hope all is well. But uh, how are you today?
0: I'm pretty good today. I celebrated a birthday yesterday and we Oh my happy
1: goodness. Happy birthday. <laughs>
0: Thank you. And we are fortunate in Atlanta. I know everyone has had weather issues, uh, but we are fortunate to have a beautiful day. So, I'm practicing gratitude and I'm going to be thankful for today.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Well, you you've had a lot to be I hope in your opinion you you've had a you've had a lot of experiences that you should be grateful for you were the... Hey, the president of the American Medical Association, you're on the Opioid Drug Task Force, uh, a psychiatrist, and it all started in Bluefield, West Virginia. You know, take us back. Where did you, you know, what do you look back on and think, maybe that's kind of why I got into the profession that I'm in today? Can you can you even pick out certain things like that about your childhood? Or was it just a combination of, of several things? And, and what do you remember most about West Virginia?
0: Well, let me start with my inspiration for becoming a physician, which was a television doctor. Now, (laughs) it was Dr. Marcus Welby. The younger folks in the audience are going to have to Google Dr. Welby. But um, what I saw as an eighth grader was that Dr. Welby not only took care of his patients inside the exam room, he took care of his patients outside the exam room. He was interested in their their families and their communities. And I think you know we weren't even naming all of the issues that determine our health back then, but now we appreciate that and know that where you live, work and play does Mm -hmm. impact your health. So I guess I was a little prescient there and appreciating that way back then. And that was my inspiration for wanting to be a physician. Now, I think that growing up in West Virginia, I'm an only child. My mother was an educator. Uh, My father worked on the railroad, but we had a huge extended family there in Bluefield. Mm -hmm. And we had those Sunday dinners where we all gathered together and we were able to ride bikes. And I just had great friends who are still some of my lifelong friends. So, you know, growing up in, in Bluefield, was a wonderful opportunity uh, for me, and I had a close-knit family. And I believe my sense of who I am, mm-hmm. the confidence uh, that I've that I've had, although sometimes wane throughout my journey, but that came from growing up in a great family uh, in small town West Virginia.
2: Yeah, it, it's funny because so many guests that, you know, we have on here say similar things that it's um, what growing up in West Virginia and I, you know, I would agree as well. It's you almost get a sense of you have your family, but then everyone else. Just, it just feels like it's like us against kind of the world kind of feeling, but it, it builds a sense of community, um, just the West Virginia culture and growing up in those small towns. Um, but so you grew up and then you started, was it in high school that you started getting interested in medicine? And then you went on to West Virginia university. Did you kind of come into WU knowing like, Hey, like I want to go into the, you know, the medical field, or was it more of a, just like, let me go to college and, and see what I like and don't like.
0: No, I knew I wanted to be a physician since I was in the eighth grade. No yeah. question. That was absolutely my goal. Now I did not have the knowledge of mm-hmm. how to get there. Yeah. And- <laughs> Uh, as complicated as it is now, it was complicated back then. So I didn't know um, how to get there. I didn't have any family or friends. I really didn't appreciate the process. What do you major in? I always say that uh, when I received the freshman catalog, and yes, I'm that old that I received the <laughs> freshman catalog, and I didn't even know what to major in. And the only major that I saw that had the word medical in it was medical technology. Now we know, I did and I didn't know about that, right, because I was naive. Yeah do all of these careers. Now, that's the profession, wonderful profession that, um, you know, looks uh, through microscopes and and works in the lab. But um, so I was unclear um, of how to become a physician, how to get there. But I knew I wanted uh, to do that. And so I entered West Virginia. And you know what? I chose West Virginia. I um, had traveled to West Virginia often for football games growing Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Uh, one of uh, my neighbors was a star football player at West Virginia university woods. (laughs) And uh, so we would get from Bluefield, right? So we were proud of Bluefield, Bluefield strong. So we would drive up to Morgantown and attend football games. And it was those beautiful fall football game days that really cemented uh, the fact that I was going to attend Uh, WVU, because, you know, growing up in Bluefield, Virginia Tech was pretty close by, right? It's a lot Mm -hmm. closer. Yeah. Much closer. But certainly, you know, going up on those beautiful fall days, it just wasn't even an option. And I knew I was going to attend West Virginia. But I I did, uh, you know, get a bit discouraged there when I got there because I wasn't sure, you know, what to major in. And um, some folks, I think, mistook my sort of lack of knowledge with my passion. Mm -hmm and uh wasn't always discouraged and so I had some setbacks that there and some detours along my journey you know that wasn't the first and it probably and it and there will still be detours you know you just don't get through life without those setbacks along with your successes but uh, ultimately after uh, getting my master's degree, working to recruit African-American students to the university, and for a time serving as special assistant to the vice president, full-time employee of West Virginia, I decided that these were all great and wonderful and enriching experiences, but I wanted to get back to where I wanted to be forever, and so I applied to medical school and was accepted at West Virginia University School of Medicine.
1: Yeah. And, and did you feel like you were making an impact? I mean, did you feel like you were kind of maybe helping people, new students as you, you know, took some of those leadership jobs and ultimately went to med school? Did you feel like, hey, you, you might be discouraged when you come in, but ultimately at the end of this time, you, you're going to find yourself and and hopefully find the route in life that you want to go because that's kind of what happened for you.
0: I did. You know, I think that lived experience is so important and uh, always, Understanding the importance of education, right? And so, certainly, it was a great opportunity to recruit uh, African American students to uh, WVU. And, you know, uh, we've always said that uh, WVU's best kept secret, and we are getting the word out more and more. But, you know, a lot of folks didn't know about West Virginia. So, it was an opportunity to uh, talk about WVU, and you could get a good education there at a reasonable price, right? right? Um, cost of education, of course, now is more um, exorbitant than it was, um, you know, when I was doing this work. And so, you know, it was an opportunity to to spread the word about WVU. But you know what? It was not only about an opportunity for these students, but it was also an opportunity for the university, mm-hmm. uh, because you know, whenever you have a diversity of thought and opinion and different viewpoints, and different races, and uh, folks, uh, you know, different gender, just a diverse organization, diverse student body, diverse faculty, you are a richer, more productive organization. And the data, if you just go to Harvard Business Review, the data is clear. So the work was about the students, but the work also was about enriching the university.
2: Hey guys, Cooper here. Who loves snacks? I'm certainly going to raise my hand for that because I am known to uh, enjoy a snack or two throughout the day. And one of my favorite ones actually is Mr. B. Chips. Now, Mr. B. Chips is the sponsor of the Mountaineer Media Podcast, but they make a delicious chip. They're headquartered in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Marianne Kettleson, the CEO, puts her money where her mouth is. She's an entrepreneur. She's a philanthropist. She's a wonderful lady. And we couldn't be happier once we interviewed her that she agreed to come on as a sponsor of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. So check them out. Mr. B. Chips, you can order online check them out in your grocery store wherever you shop and uh, we'll be right back to the interview with dr. Patrice Harris now now, Dr. Harris, did you feel like you were breaking barriers because like, you were an African American female trying to become a doctor? And at that era in America and West Virginia culture, that was not something that was extremely common in the moment as a student. Could you feel that around you? And were you like conscious of it? And you're like, hey, like, I'm proud of this. I'm I'm like, I'm spearheading this with my, my own efforts. But a lot of people maybe were looking at me as, you know, you've quickly probably become a role model to a lot of children because it's like, hey, like you just said, like, I see myself in her. And that's why diversity is so important. And like like you said, of race and of opinions and of viewpoints, because you don't don't know who that trickles down and maybe inspires to look up to you as you're, you know, spearheading these new frontiers at that time.
0: You know, I have to admit that in the moment, I did not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Realize or even think about the breaking barriers part of it. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, certainly, as uh, the 174th president of the American Medical Association and the first African American woman to do so, I I knew that, you know, Mm -hmm. as I was um, elected first to the AMA Board of Trustees in 2011 and ascending and working really hard uh, to potentially get election uh, elected by the way um i had a contested race uh, so uh, <laughs>
3: really? not to get
0: much in the weeds of, of ama politics but think of a presidential election on a smaller uh, state scale but we campaign we make speeches uh we you know have to go around to all of the uh, Uh, delegations that make up the House of Delegates of the AMA. So I had a contested race and it was a a hard fought race, uh, but I won. But a couple of years before, it it did not escape me that Mm -hmm. uh, should I be elected, I would be the first African-American woman and would break barriers. And I can tell you that going around the country after that election, a lot of folks said that. uh, Mm -hmm. they, They said that they were inspired by my journey.
1: So let's kind of catch everybody up to speed to where, you know, you're at now you graduate from WVU, you go to Emory, you in, in Atlanta, you finish up there. And then, as you just said, you kind of start working your way up the AMA ladder, you know, in a, in a, in a way, but um, so take us to that election because that was June, 2019. Correct. That's when, that's when you were, you were sworn in um, as, as president of the American medical association, but um You know, take us a little bit more into that. Was that something that somebody maybe suggested to you first? And then you're like, yeah, let's, you know, let's kind of do it. And, And as you said, you were the first African American woman to hold that position. Was that something that somebody maybe had to talk you into a little bit? Or was that just another one of those things that you're like, no, I'm going for it?
0: Well, here's where I like to tell folks about the importance of strategy and preparation, right? Uh, Because, uh, and again, a little bit in the weeds of uh, AMA politics, but I I want uh, the listeners to think about uh, the AMA as they think about Congress, right? so we all, as states, send representatives to Congress. So um, in the AMA, all states and all specialties send representatives to the AMA House of Delegates, that is our Congress, right? And right now there are about 600 and some delegates. And those are the delegates that ultimately elect um, officers to the board and to the presidency. But as you uh, noted, I am a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I had planned to be a pediatrician when I, uh, you know, early in my pre-medical school career, because I've always wanted to improve the lives for children, always had a passion for working with children. So I plan to be a pediatrician. But during third year of medical school, by the way, I did my last two years at CAMC in Charleston. Gotcha. Um, so during the third year, medical students rotate through the major specialties. So we rotate through surgery, internal medicine, psychiatry, family medicine. We do some uh, surgical subspecialties. When I got to my psychiatry ro- okay, rotation, I felt at home.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was so interesting, interesting, and I had already always been fascinated by the brain. So it just made sense. And so I said, well, you know, I could do psychiatry and then do child psychiatry. And uh, so of course I chose psychiatry. Came to Emory Uh, to do my residency and fellowship training. Now, having always been a joiner, I got actively involved in the American Psychiatric Association, right? That's the National Specialty Society uh, for my specialty. I also was involved locally actually and and went down to the Georgia State General Assembly, our legislature and was a full-time advocate for many years.
3: So I was doing
0: that and then involved in the American Psychiatric Association. And so I was appointed to the American Psychiatric Association's AMA delegation, right? So one of those delegates at the mm-hmm. AMA. And the delegation from psychiatry said, you know what? Mental health does not always uh, receive the attention uh, that it needs. Now, now during COVID, we are seeing a lot more folks talk about the importance of mental health, and I'm so glad. Yeah. You know, 30 years ago, not so much. Right. So we decided as an association and and within the AMA, we wanted to make sure that psychiatrists were represented in all of the AMA's leadership committees. And we decided that absolutely one day we wanted a psychiatrist to be the president of the AMA. So this was 30 years of strategy and planning And hard work on my part and and the entire delegation's part to get me and others elected to various boards. But as I uh, again uh, began to work my way up through my hard work and my own planning, um, you know, we decided that um, you, know, Patrice, uh, you are our our person uh, to, to work your <laughs> way up to leadership. And so I say that because yes, uh, if we didn't wake up. Well, we did wake up one day and say we need to strategize, but it was a 30 year uh, process of involvement and engagement and ultimately uh, getting elected.
2: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, it, it's been a long time coming. So I'm sure that felt like you, I, I just heard a quote recently. It's if, like, if I can see far, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, you know, it's like, I'm sure you had that feeling where it's like, wow, like I'm you know in this position. I'm fortunate for that. But this is something that, you know, we as a medical society have been trying to advance for a long time. Um and you, you mentioned child neglect in the, like, and you also worked on the opioid crisis. Um, I'm sure that, you know, those two things go hand in hand to a degree. And then, of course, West Virginia is continuing to experience the opioid crisis. Um, I know, you know, I know you can't make, you know, medical recommendations and whatnot, you know, generally, but how do you see a path out of this for the country, for West Virginia um, with the opioid crisis? Or maybe tell us a little bit more about the details of your work and like what you all were trying to do to combat that.
0: Well, so in in 2014, the AMA uh, Board of Trustees saw that there was a need uh, for a comprehensive plan, a medical voice, uh, to really dig beneath the headlines. You know, a lot of headlines, a lot of quick fixes, a lot of policy and regulation uh, that we saw being put forth, but we knew didn't really solve the problem really, mm-hmm. because it wasn't a one size fits all problems, a very complicated public health problem. And so the AMA board of trustees decided to convene this task force made of representatives from 27 state and specialty societies, and I was appointed uh, chair of the task force. And we, again, really wanted to, um, you know, demonstrate physician leadership on the issue, right? And then work together, collaborate with others, both within medicine and external to medicine to solve the problem. And, you know, I was able to do a TED style talk several uh, years ago, and I talked about the fact that if we sort of looked at any public health crisis with a commitment to three things, Uh, we could move forward in a solution. And those three things were, number one, context. Mm -hmm. You have to look at a situation in its full context. The second is intellectual honesty. You know, we have to be honest. We have to be about the business of truth telling as we confront any major public health crisis, actually probably any crisis. And the third was looking at science and the data you know, we have to, we've, we've seen that with COVID, right. But I said that four years ago when I was talking about uh, the opioid epidemic. And by the way, we now at the AMA talk about the overdose epidemic because it's not just opioids. It's also stimulants, uh, you know, methamphetamine. So we believe to solve this problem, Uh, We need to, first of all, make sure we understand substance use disorders, and it's not just one substance use disorder. Uh, We need to understand and make sure that access to treatment is critical. You know, when it comes to what is science-based treatment for an opioid use disorder, on on average, only two in 10 people in this country have access to something that we know works by Mm -hmm. science. And so we wanted to elevate that we wanted to work to eliminate barriers for our patients to get care it care for any substance use disorder but of course it started out as opioids and we wanted to make sure there's a wide range of services so we wanted to elevate that we wanted to elevate the fact that there are often barriers regulatory barriers. We've actually seen some of those uh, regulatory uh, barriers eliminated during this COVID crisis uh, because we've seen some increases in overdoses. But before the COVID crisis, we elevated the need uh, to reduce some of these barriers. We also elevated the need for physicians to become educated about Mm -hmm. pain, right? Uh, and we also wanted insurers to pay for non-opioid alternatives to treat pain. So those were many, just a few of the many recommendations that have come out of uh, this task force. We also wanted to highlight harm reduction strategies, right? Yeah. Because again, there's not a one size fits all <laughs> approach. And so that's what we've done through the work of the task force. We put forth real world uh, solutions, a playbook for states so that we can really Uh, make sure we are reducing the number of overdoses and deaths due to opioids, but also uh, due to any substance.
1: There's so much to impact there too. I mean, it's between pain clinics and harm reduction. There's a big push for harm reduction right now in Charleston, West Virginia. I don't even, I don't know how much you follow what goes back on in, in the mountain state, but there is just a lot going on when it comes to, you know, opioid and, and um, overdose, you know, reduction in terms of that. I actually, I, I want to go back. Go so ahead.
0: So, so I do keep my eye on the mountain state. Yeah. Uh, I do go back to uh, Bluefield. Of course, I am now on the WVU board of governors, but mm-hmm. I was on the WVU foundation board for many years. Mm-hmm. So I have remained engaged uh, with not only the university, but my state. I have property back in Bluefield. I have a lot of plans uh, for, uh, for my uh, hometown. Okay. Uh, so I do keep a close eye on the Mountain State, and I and I do um, engage actively um, in in policies, and I, I I watch what's going on in my home state because I'm very committed to doing all that I can, yeah, uh, yeah for my state.
1: Let me ask you this before we I, I talk about some of the stuff that you know you had just talked about, you know, plans for Bluefield. Let's go back to when you had taken that AMA position and you were pushing for mental health, you know, that was something that you guys had certainly been pushing for for years. But then about halfway into your time, we're hit with this pandemic, really just even four months after you had taken that job, you know, in June, you know, October, November, December, really, we're hearing some things from China. And then even up until like March, I I looked up some videos of you guys, you in particular, were like, you know, talking about some of uh, the worries of the coronavirus, we're hearing more and more about it, but this was even still like a couple of weeks before we'd really been hit hard, you know, in that mid-March area. I mean, talk about being thrown into the fire, right? Uh, you, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you walked right into something you had no idea was coming, but it was just, I mean, what, what a crazy situation to be thrust in, especially for, you know, you personally, but then the AMA in general with, with the pandemic.
0: Well, clearly uh, none of us uh, you know, predicted uh, this uh, to this degree at this time. But I have to tell you uh, that I believe and others have said uh, that I was in the right place at the right time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you look at my inaugural address, which don't, but if you <laughs> <laughs> look at my inaugural address, uh, first of all, uh, you would hear me talk about West Virginia. Uh, And I had such a strong West Virginia contingent there, some of my medical school classmates. So I'm so grateful for the support uh, of my West Virginia colleagues who came to celebrate with me, because that night I talked about bringing all of who I am into that office, you know, my West Virginia family, my Georgia family, my Atlanta family, my psychiatry family, my sorority family, Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, uh, and my personal families on both my my parents' sides. But I also talked about the importance that night and what I wanted to amplify, in addition to the AMA strategic priorities in our portfolio, was the importance of mental health into overall health care, the importance of health equity, and the importance of childhood trauma. So those are three things that I wanted to elevate now. Certainly would not have wished COVID-19 on our world, but those three things have been elevated uh, during this time. And so, uh, you know, I do believe you heard me earlier talk about uh, preparation. And uh, I do believe that physicians and we have demonstrated other health professionals, so many folks have have demonstrated that um, we have the opportunity to meet the moment. Uh, I've said in many of my speeches, physicians don't run away from problems, we run towards them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the AMA did. True. That's what that's I the did. Truth. And again, I think that I was in the right place at the right time as we needed to talk about health equity. We saw this uh, you know, COVID-19 disproportionately hit black and brown communities. And as an African-American woman, I have that lived experience and share that. Of course, mental health, Public health is critical. And I'm a former public health uh, director and and certainly the issues around trauma and the trauma that this is causing. And so uh, you know for for those reasons, I do believe that I was in the right place at the right time and and I just, um, you know, buckled up. yeah, and uh, you know, said that uh, we together are more than a match for this moment, and it was my honor and privilege to serve during this time.
1: That's a relief to hear. I don't think many people would say it was their honor and privilege to to do anything with COVID, but I'm glad that that's like you know your take on this. I mean, it's it is it's been difficult for everybody, but you know you you guys have done you know just in general have done good work, and and certainly mental health. I mean, for you in particular, is something now being talked about and discussed about more so than ever, and uh, I, I hope that you look at that as a win. I, I you know. Uh, I'm, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not a doctor, but you know, I think that is certainly something that everybody um, talks more about, you know, than they did, you know, even just a year ago, or two years ago.
0: I do, you know, it is tough. And listen, I'm exhausted. I I always uh, want to be uh, authentic. I'm tired. Um, I have received both uh, doses of my uh, vaccine, but I but I am I am tired. I know we are all tired. Um, we do see some light at the end of the tunnel. We still need to continue to be uh, vigilant. Uh, you know, for the next uh, several months. But I but I do think that again in in this role, and in this moment, uh, you know, it was my responsibility. You know, I was able to be on TV and talk about the importance of science. Uh, You know, we we encourage at the AMA. I did a a huge speech early on, uh, even before, uh, you know, things like mask wearing were politicized so much. But 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 this is a message that we've always had. Now, listen, politics is a part of healthcare. It's a part of almost everything we do, uh, but we don't want the science to be partisan. And so, again, it was a responsibility, a privilege and an honor. Tough work, tough work. Uh, to be in the space, but uh, you know, with with uh, privilege and with pr- platforms comes accountability and responsibility, and and that's how I looked at that. And I also, at this point, want to mention West Virginia and give West Virginia
3: mm-hmm.
0: credit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, oftentimes people have a narrative about our state uh, that is inaccurate. Now, listen, all of us have warts. Uh, you know, and and so, but there's also a, a narrative, a, a rich narrative about our state, and and uh, about you're interviewing me, and you've interviewed others, um, and and our state, uh, you know, of course, has been singled out regarding yeah. our vaccine strategy, and so that's been good. Uh, so you know, uh, as I've talked to others, I always highlight West Virginia.
2: Yeah. Where as a badge of honor, I mean, I, I, I anywhere you go, if you go in an airport, I'm sure if you weren't at the Atlanta airport and you had like a West Virginia shirt on, you would have dozens, maybe hundreds of people say something to you, um, go Mountaineers or something like that.
0: Yeah, I do and whenever I see anyone, uh, with uh, West Virginia gear on, I always say go Mountaineers
2: because yeah. it f- feels like you know, them. it feels like somebody that's familiar and feels like home. Um, you spoke about no, West Virginia,
0: explain. you know, it's hard to explain why. You know, we uh, tear up when we, you know, sing Country Roads and uh, it it is hard to explain to others, Uh, but uh, I'm just so proud of it. Actually, I'm getting chills as we speak.
2: Hey, it's Cooper again. Yes, I'm going to interrupt my own podcast for the second time only because I want to bring your attention to our amazing blog team that we have over at mountaineermedia.org. Now these folks voluntarily reached out to us and said, "Hey, look, I want to write about West Virginia. I'm passionate about healthcare, about the outdoors, about public policy, um, business. You know, the whole spectrum of life. Really, um, we have blogging coming out almost to the tune of once a day, I believe. But everything is mountaineermedia.org. You can find all of our merchandise, all of the episodes, and our amazing, amazing bloggers on mountaineermedia.org. And you can sign up for the newsletter right there and get it twice a month in your." your inbox updates on everything also the discount codes so the discount codes for the merchandise we always stick them in the newsletter to reward our readers so thank you guys we appreciate all the support let's get right back to the episode with the great and powerful dr patrice harris now, so, so you're playing. So, where do you? What's on the frontier next? So you've accomplished so much. You've you've led associations. You've been on boards. So like, as you sit in your career now, what you know? You said maybe you've got some projects or you know ideas for West Virginia. Like, where do you see yourself in the next um, you know part of your career moving into?
0: Well, you know I. Those three uh, issues that I wanted to amplify, I still am committed to those. I am still uh, committed to advancing mental health, right? And making sure that mental health is appreciated as an important part of overall health. It's not a set aside, and there should be no stigma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these are chronic medical uh, diseases, just like diabetes. So I will still be on that quest. Um, I will still be on the quest for health equity. Uh, we, know that not everyone has an equitable opportunity to achieve their health, uh, whether it be because they are uninsured, uh, whether it be because structural policies uh, don't support their equitable opportunity for health, and always working with children uh, and, and, and childhood trauma. So I will continue to uh, work in those areas. I uh, just took on uh, as the CEO of a company that's looking at how to make sure that everyone has equitable access to testing. Mm. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I do uh, have property in, in West Virginia and I I just, West Virginia is such a beautiful state and, and Bluefield is such a bl- beautiful city, you know, we're nature's air-conditioned city, you know, we sit in the valley and I think there's so much opportunity uh, there uh, you know, I uh, grew up. Uh, was bo- when I was born. My parents lived in um, a uh, an apartment complex that um, you know uh, a lot of African American entertainers uh, who couldn't stay at other places would stay there. And so I think there's so much promise and opportunity promoting blue um, and overall our state as a place for relaxation, and health, and healing, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, emphasizing the importance and the contribution of Blacks, uh, of Black people in our state, and so I will be continuing work uh, in those areas.
1: You have, uh, I was watching an interview you had done uh, right after um, like June 2019, right, right after you had would, you would taken the position and you said stigma survives and thrives when people have inadequate information, when people have misinformation. Um, a, do you remember that? And B, I think that almost sums up a lot of what we've been talking about here between the opioid, I mean, opioid and overdose crisis, the, the pandemic even just being from West Virginia. I mean, I think in a lot of ways that that that's such a powerful quote. I mean, even in the medical society, I'm sure, you know, your goal in a lot of ways is just to spread proper information and make sure that as many people can hear the facts as, as much as possible. Um, And, and is that kind of what you have, is that, does that still, you know, hold today that, that quote of, of stigma surviving and thriving?
0: It holds today, I do remember that. And I think that uh, you are right on target uh, when you talk about misinformation uh, being the crux of you know many issues here. And so I am a rabid fan of making sure folks have accurate information. Now you may make a different choice Uh, Then perhaps I, as you were in a physician patient relationship, or even as a friend to friend, Mm -hmm. uh, you may make a different choice, but I want to make sure you are making that choice uh, based on accurate scientific information and data. You know, I even talk about when we. We should commit to coming to conversations, difficult conversations. And I admit I'm a psychiatrist, so difficult conversations are, uh, you know, my trade in some ways. Yeah. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with difficult conversations, but they're difficult for a reason, right? And so, but I think that if we commit to coming to difficult conversations, armed with accurate information and a sense of respect. Um, and a sense of you matter, the other person matters, um, I think we will go a long way. So at the crux of that is that intellectual honesty, uh, and that science and the evidence So Mm -hmm. you're right on target with that
2: well that's that's why i i, not I also I, I enjoy podcasts but millions of other people do is because I think it's also a, a reflection of the time that we're in like misinformation is you know is prevalent because it can be rapidly produced on the internet like another i'm dropping all these like quotes today like the truth gets around the world before like the or like a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets time to pull banks something like that mess that quote yeah. up mm-hmm. um but but also it's a ref- like why I love podcasting is because it allows long-form discussion Discussions of these nuanced topics that doesn't fit nicely into social media and the news news media, right? Like some of these problems, like like opioid crisis, and you know, and, and COVID in general, it, it's difficult to capture that in thirty seconds or fifteen seconds. But we live in a world where a fifteen second headline or a snippet is what gets retweeted, replayed, and what's viewed by millions of people. Um, which is why I love podcasting, is because you can long form understand and impact some of these informations. Um, So I'm optimistic that the platform in general will help folks in the medical field and every field be able to flesh out some of these ideas um, around fact and fiction and what's hearsay and rumor and then what's kind of been you know, rung through the political spin machine. Um, So we certainly appreciate um, you coming on here and and sharing that um, and giving us, you know, a professional perspective, but also um, walking through these issues. What is it now? We're headed into into
1: more of the Mountaineer Media podcast is what Cooper said.
2: Please. Yeah. Mountaineer (laughs) Media. Um, we head into 2021. Um, what are you most optimistic about? And then, you know, what are some personal things that, cause I think a lot of people listen to this and they, they like learning from the people that we have on, um, and, you know, they I always like to ask, what would you give advice to young people as, you know, they're in their career, uh, cause you've got the advantage of experience. What would you say to the young people that are listening to this and think, Hmm, you know, like how can I practically apply this to my life?
0: Well, uh, I say three things and I've had the opportunity. In fact, I gave a uh, commencement at uh, WU the December, I think it was the last, I guess the last maybe in person. Wow.
2: I was actually there. I saw yeah. you speak yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, a friend yeah, yeah. of mine graduated. This. Yeah.
0: Oh, wonderful. And I, and I talk about, I think I probably uh, shared a story and, and gave, uh, you know, seven things, but the, the very basic thing I tell folks is to be true to your authentic self. Um, Because I know that so often people do things to please others, and then they are not happy. Um, You know, I tell folks, you know, do not go into medicine to please anyone else but you because it's hard. And it's hard work. And at this point, you come out of medical school with a lot of debt. And, uh, you know, it's not the easiest profession in the world. And so, um, you know, go into medicine because you truly want to. And I would say that for anything, be true to your authentic self. Uh, The second thing is to be curious. You know, your point about the podcast Mm -hmm. um, means we have to have conversations. And so be curious, ask questions. Of course, these long form discussions are where you have the opportunity to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the last is, you know, uh, be uh, self-aware. I guess, uh, be willing to, and I have another one, uh, but be willing to look inward and at least ask yourself, am I contributing to this issue here? Or if I'm not, what can I be doing? If it's a a problem, how am I contributing to the problem so I can stop doing that? But if it's a solution, how should, if I'm not contributing, how can I solve the problem? And the last is to be, um, hone your critical thinking, right? And that gets to the social media and the lie that gets out of it. And you're thinking, okay, so let me look at where the source of this information is. So I see something on my, you know, Facebook post or my my, uh, Twitter feed. Let me think about this. And let me do a little bit of digging, getting beneath the headlines, and let me see, and let me do a little bit of homework, right? Mm-hmm. Critical think about this before I just accept this as fact. And so that's, that's what I tell uh, younger folks. I, I do uh, say that, um, you know, find what you are passionate about. Now, listen, you may have to work uh, in a job that you might not be so passionate about, but then you can find that passion outside of work. So, you know, life is not easy, life is messy. We don't, our lives aren't buttoned up into a neat box, right, but mm-hmm. not perfect. Uh, but the key is to always be on a journey uh, to, uh, to improve um, and do the best you can do. Not compare yourself to anyone else, uh, but do the best you can do. And I am optimistic. Um, I'm in, in general an optimistic person, first of all, because I think it's a choice and uh, to choose otherwise would not be a way that I would want to go through life. But I have to say that um, I've become a pragmatic optimist. Mm -hmm. Now, COVID-19 has really uh, elevated and illustrated a lot of fault lines in this community, some even even worse than even I thought. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But I'm optimistic, but I say I'm pragmatically optimistic because it is going to require optimism and the results of optimism A transformed normal is going to require action. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be pragmatic about it. And so we can't just sit back and say, well, we'll just let things happen because, uh, you know, they, they may not. And so we have to all commit to action in in our own way, whatever we can do in our own individual sphere of influence. Uh, But we have to commit to act. Uh, We have to, to, to work, Uh, you know, things don't just happen.
1: Right. I think you're an example of all three of those things you are an incredible daughter of west virginia and you are repping this state very well and doing the country a lot of good right now as well dr patrice harris thank you very much for taking some time speaking with us and you know we wish you the best of luck and we love to hear that you're still very tied and then you still get chills when you hear country roads in your head and uh you know overall thank you again and and you know best of luck to you.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much for this opportunity.
2: Folks, that was another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. And how about Dr. Patrice Harris? I mean, she is quite the lady. Um, growing up in you know rural West Virginia, going to WU, becoming just a nationally known figure amongst the medical community, and advocating for you know all sorts of public policy health causes. And you know we were just honored, right? I mean, we're honored every week to get to talk to these amazing people. Um, but you know we found Dr. Patrice Harris uh, very insightful, very thoughtful, and very stoic about her relationship with. Her her work and you know all the work and advocacy she's done for West Virginia and putting us on the map so thank you to her for joining it uh thank you to Mason Jack for producing the Mountaineer Media Podcast you know he's our voiceless hero here he doesn't come on the episodes but uh, you know don't be confused he is putting all this together and we could not do it without Mason Jack um, we could do it without you guys, the listeners. We really, really appreciate you giving us a little slice of your day. You know, every Thursday, this one happens to be a Friday. Um, but, you know, we appreciate you listening to us. It, it blows our mind, quite honestly. You know, when we started this project, we did not think that, you know, people would listen to us. And here the hell we are. We've got merchandise. We've got bloggers. We've got a website. Um, you know, maybe we're going to do a scholarship one day, a little sneak peek on that. Maybe we have an intern coming up. You know, who knows? Um, but... We appreciate you guys so much. Mountaineermedia.org is where you can find all of our information. Shop, hang out, leave us comments, give us feedback. Tell us that, you know, quit yapping at the end of these that you just want to get on with your life. Whatever you want to do, you can shoot us a message. Mountaineermediapodcast at gmail.com. That's a good note. If you're just, hey, look, I got a great West Virginian I want to introduce you to. Or maybe you are a great West Virginian and you want to talk to us. Send us an email. We're wildly open. I, we literally think about this stuff 24-7. I don't sleep. I constantly work. And, but you know, I'm excited to work because I get to do what I love, and that's talk to you guys here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. But uh, Mountaineer Media Podcast at Gmail.com is the easiest way to get hold of us, um, or you can just find my number and call me. I'm not opposed to that as well. So hopefully you have a great week. The sun's starting to shine. It looks like we're getting out of winter. I know the little groundhog or gopher or whatever the hell it is, he saw a shadow, but you know maybe um, he lied. You know maybe he maybe we're at a winter and maybe we can move on with our lives and you know get some sun i miss playing golf miss being outside so hey guys this is a long one i've been ranting have a great week see you